Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, grab your carbon sinks and take a seat. Everything you didn't know you needed to know about how net zero carbon emission targets in the advertising and media supply chain are going to impact the industry is about to be unpacked. I'm going to start with a quote we use a bit at MI3 to focus our attention deficit tendencies. It's from Telstra's former CMO, Jeremy Nicholas, now running digital channels for the telco, who said that in order for Telstra to meet its net zero targets, Telstra's suppliers and partners have a lot of work to do. And that means media, tech players, agencies, consulting firms, and beyond. Jeremy's quote last year on MI3 said this, if you haven't got emissions reductions baked into your business, we are not going to shortlist you as a supplier. It's just not going to happen. Now, that sounds like a gulp moment, but the decarbonisation of the economy is coming, like it or not. So what does this mean for marketing and advertising? Well, don't ask me, but we are going to ask Brian O'Kelly, the New York-based CEO of Scope3, a global emissions measurement firm focused on decarbonising media and advertising via a proprietary model that calculates emissions across every component of digital advertising, from company and brand to agency, media and programmatic and data intermediaries. But you'll be thrilled to know it's just not me asking Brian the questions. As an aside, Brian was the inventor of real-time bidding in online ad exchanges 20 years ago and later founded ad exchange platform AppNexus before selling it for $1.7 billion to AT&T. But I do digress. To get through this meaty theme, I've asked some people of actual substance who have to deal with all this as marketers to join me as co-moderators on this episode. We're going to hear Brian O'Kelly's big take on how fast and serious the task ahead is and then a handful of seasoned marketing leaders are going to join me in asking the questions they want answered. We may even hear about trading GMPs or green media products. So let's get this show on the road. Uh, on the mics today with Scope3's Brian O'Kelly is Suncorp CMO Mim Hasem, former Mars, KFC, Maccas, Coca-Cola and 20th Century Fox CMO and current CEO of the Australian Market Institute, Bronwyn Powell, and Tom Dobson, Executive for Operations Planning and Partnerships at NAB. Now, thanks very much to you all for joining this green stream, we could call it. Brian Kelly, let's start with you and the big picture. You have an interesting slide in one of your carbon neutral decks, actually, that says advertising is just one of 18 different supply chains that companies must measure and optimise for net zero targets. Before we get to that, Brian, how about a really quick explainer on what is driving all this activity that is coming at pace for the industry? Is it, for instance, the 2015 International Paris Agreement on Climate Change? Is it the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, or some other exotic group that's driving all this as a catalyst? Um, Welcome, Brian. Just give us that very first, why are we here and why are we talking? And welcome from New York. Well, thank you all very much for having me. I'm thrilled to share some of my thoughts and experiences. I'll tell you on a personal level, what got me involved is a realization Two years ago, when COP26, this big UN conference, happened in Glasgow, a number of people started protesting. And there were protests, Extinction Rebellion protested, Greenpeace protested. Um, They were calling out out out-of-home billboards for their power use. And the reaction to this across the industry was (laughs) probably mild panic. And then a bunch of commitments from holding companies like WPP and Group M that they were going to jump on board and do their part to decarbonize. 
And Group M's analysis was that 55% of their carbon came from the media supply chain. And I saw that stat, and I thought to myself, I wonder how much of that's coming from programmatic. And I felt a personal obligation to go find out the answer. And I think what we're seeing is a lot of humans, a lot of really well-minded people asking the question, what can I do about climate? And we find that so many of ourselves are in a position to make a difference, whether that's by writing thoughtful articles or by looking into our own company's supply chains or joining initiatives or supporting nonprofits. Like, there are millions of people. Or even really smart podcasts, Brian. Actually, podcasts are one of the best ways to make a difference. I think that that passion shows up in investors asking for ESG support. It it shows up in uh, employees pushing their employers to make a change. It shows up so many different places. And I think what we're seeing is just this groundswell of passionate people everywhere in the world who are trying to do the best they can for climate. And that, of course, hits marketing, partially because we can actually make a difference. Got it. And so the big policy levers globally that sort of are the legitimate driver for all this conversation we're having is around the the, the objectives of, what is it, keeping global warming to 1.5, 2 degrees by 20, whatever. There's some big, you can, you're the expert here, Brian, tell me that, but there is some big, you know, global policy levers, which is driving everything we're seeing now back into advertising, correct? Yeah. Somebody asked me, why is it such a big deal? Like, why do we care about 1.5 degrees or 2 degrees? It doesn't mean anything, especially in America where (laughs) Celsius means nothing. Yes, right. And we don't even understand it. So I saw a great way of explaining this that I'll share because it's useful to me. The last ice age reduced global temperatures by 6 degrees Celsius. And this is when there were like glaciers over all of New York. And like, this is an entirely different universe. Like we can't, humanity barely survived the ice age. That was six degrees. We're at 1.1 degrees today. So we're at like a fifth of an ice age worth of warming. And if you start talking about being a third of an ice age, I mean, think about how different the planet would be if our temperatures had dropped that much. And so this is a really scary thing because it's happening so fast as well. So yes, you're right that there's policy involved. The, The numbers are really hard to get your head around. And the policies, I mean, even COP, 27, there was also COP15. There's two different competing UN conferences with the same name. Like, who can keep up with this? So I think we need to make this very concrete, which is the opposite of an ice age, I don't know what we call it, a heat age, is upon us with millions of people, hundreds of millions of people displaced, trillions, tens of trillions of dollars of economic damage globally, possibly an entirely different way of experiencing, let's say, Australia, which has had climate change impacting it already in significant ways, worse, twice as bad. This is not a linear thing where a little bit more heat makes it a little worse. It gets exponentially worse as we go forward. We can't afford that. Our generation, this is not about our kids. It's about us. It's about our ability to retire in a a world that we can recognize. So Policy, to me, is a response to that urgency. Policy is our governments, and thank goodness for the new government you know, we have in Australia right now that seems to be taking this seriously. We have a lot of work to do. Mm. And hence why we have so many companies now building out net zero targets, right, Brian? And part of that net zero, those net zero targets for companies is all these supply chain knock-ons that are coming. And then we get to those 18 that you talk about. And one of them is, of course, advertising and media. 
And so uh, let's get to that. How fast, deep and difficult is the task ahead for the media and advertising supply chain and who is it going to affect most? Where do we start on that? Yeah, I think that the place we have to start is measurement. And supply chains are complicated. I mean, I, I come from programmatic, which is about as complicated as it gets. Yeah, you do pretty good on that stuff. Yeah, yeah and if, if you think you understand it, I will literally go invent another acronym. So <laughs> don't make any claims. But the stat that worries me is that if you add up all of the emissions numbers of like what we can see, and then you look at what's going into the atmosphere, there's a 40% gap. Like there's a transparency problem where we can't see our own supply chains. So I think that's where we start. One consequence, and, and Tom, we talked about this when I was in Australia, is this means that most companies are underreporting their emissions in their supply chains. And there's a real fear of, well, wait a second. You know, I thought I was here, and now you're telling me I'm actually there. Well, well now what? How do I go to my boss and say, wait a second, you know, I thought I was good, and now I'm not as good. Amazon and Microsoft both got criticized because their scope three emissions, their supply chain emissions went up last year. It's not because they actually went up. It's because they did the work to go dig into their supply chains. So what we need is some courage as leaders. We need to say, I'm going to go find out the number. As an industry, we can't accept shortcuts. Offsets are not going to get us there. Choosing sort of inaccurate proxy metrics won't get us there. I saw someone proposing that we should use kilobytes as the foundational metric for the industry for this. So you're going to tell me that we're going to measure newspaper print emissions by the file size of the ad you send the newspaper? Like, that makes absolutely no sense. We need to actually measure, do you use electric delivery vans? Many companies are thinking, we need to get out of print. Did you know that digital ads on the same newspaper are often higher carbon than print? That moving away from print, you're actually hurting your emissions as advertisers perceive them. Like these are major problems that we have to start by just looking in the eye and saying, I want to know the truth. I want the hard truth and I'm going to address it. So how big collectively is the advertising and media uh, contribution to emissions? How do you quantify it? I don't know, at a country level, global level, a percentage of, can you quantify that somehow, Brian? Yeah, I, I will say that these are estimates that we've pulled together and I'm going to get them in sort of like order of magnitude levels because we don't have the precise numbers. But I think 100 million metric tons a year is about the footprint of the global media and advertising space. To put that in context, the global aviation industry, both commercial and freight, is around 900 million metric tons. So it's the same scale, but much smaller. If you're a single company, though, those 18 supply chains, one of your supply chains is business travel. I guarantee you that if you do any meaningful advertising, you're going to be above business travel. You know, employee commuting, you're probably above that. Like if you look at those numbers, it's probable that you're a top t media and advertising or marketing and advertising is a top 10 category for almost every company in the world, except for the manufacturing sector because they don't do that much advertising or, or mining. You know, if you're a big, you know, Rio Tinto or someone like that, like, you know, well, maybe you're doing a bunch of lobbying, you know. But in terms of carbon footprint, anybody in the consumer world has a big carbon footprint here. Specifically, programmatic has about 10 million metric tons just from, like, the ad tech side of the industry. So, and most of that is just waste because of inefficient processing and things like that. So, 
I'm not talking about streaming YouTube or BVOD. Like, those are harder to figure out. I'm talking about just purely computers trying to figure out how to target you with an ad. That's a, a significant amount of, of carbon that I think we can address very quickly, which is why we focus on it. I am going to let my esteemed um, co-moderators have a say in a second. I will shut up. But i got one more question for you, which is just explain to me how a newspaper ad can be better for carbon emissions than a digital news media ad online. How does that work? Because that's way against the perceptions that we'd all have. It's mind-boggling that that's the case. And the reason is that the... So what's a newspaper ad's footprint, right? There's pulp that you have to go procure. You have to go physically get ink. You have to put, you know, you have a printing press. You have some paper that comes out. It goes on trucks. Those trucks burn gas or petrol, depending on where you sit in the world. Uh, And then it gets delivered. Then it gets recycled. That paper actually goes back into the process. So a lot of those raw materials are recovered in the process. And a lot of those processes are pretty efficient, You know, like a tree (laughs) inherently does not have a huge carbon footprint. In fact, we plant trees to get rid of carbon. So the carbon from the raw materials here is actually minimal, if, if not nominal, in this context. When we burn electricity in data centers to make digital ads, we create heat. And we have to actually put air conditioners in our data centers to cool so the computers don't melt. So when we actually do things digitally, it reminds me of like, Imagine turning your oven on to max in your house in the middle of summer and then having to turn on your air conditioning. You're you're kind of using energy on all fronts. And if you do this a million times a second or 14 million times a second, you know, companies like Critio and Trade Desk have tens of thousands of servers. Amazon Web Services, which is the largest cloud hosting company, has a $5 billion business just for ad tech. There are billions of dollars being invested in these servers. By the way, the companies that build those servers, all those chips, have a huge carbon footprint. So actually just making a chip or making a hard drive, the the digital supply chain is actually deeply physical. It's all physical, but we don't experience it. You can feel the paper. You can't feel the ad. Uh, I guess you can on your tablet. <laughs> yes, that's right. But And and I think I saw somewhere that uh, even Microsoft, for instance, is, and you'll know more than me than this, but are actually putting servers at the bottom of the ocean to help the cooling without using, you know, is that the case? I did get that right. Yeah, well, or, or putting them, you know, in fjords in Norway or, you know, anywhere right. that's naturally cold makes a lot of sense. Also makes a lot of sense yeah. to put them by hydropower or other renewable energy sources. So I, I do think... The big tech companies deserve a lot of credit, especially Microsoft and Google, for their work here. I think Amazon is catching up very quickly, but we can't rely on them to do this. And in a, in a, a market like Australia, you know, one thing I learned when I was there is that this is still a very coal-powered electrical grid in most places. Maybe not in South Australia, but but certainly in Melbourne, New South Wales, it, it seems like we're talking about coal. And someone said to me, well. That means nothing we do matters. I'm like, no, you've got it backwards. Every kilowatt hour you don't use has much bigger impact than anywhere else. Reduction of electrical use actually turns off coal. Right. Whereas if you're in France, you know, it's mainly nuclear. If you're in you know, Quebec, it's hydro. You have a huge opportunity to do reduction at scale that will actually have dramatic impact on the environment. 
So let's go to the panel. Mim Haysom, um, you've heard Brian's top-line thoughts on this. What's your first hunch here? What do you want to know? I couldn't agree more, Paul. This is such a fascinating topic. And Brian, it's great to hear your perspective. And you've already given some great context on the problems and, and the complexity of the discussion. And I think the measurement of carbon is a relatively new and really complex area for most businesses. And it's one that we'd all agree is really critical that we need to elevate as an industry-wide conversation, but it's not necessarily one that all people are ready to have, and probably because of some of the complexity you've just called out. So when you're starting this conversation with advertisers, publishers, or agencies, where do you start? Yeah, it's a really good question because somebody said to me, it took us 100 years to figure out financial accounting, and we still had the Enron scandal. I guess we still have crypto. So we haven't quite figured out money yet. We've got like three years to figure out carbon accounting. And it's actually more complicated because these supply chains are super complex. Sorry, can I jump in there, Brian? When you say we've got three years to work out carbon accounting, what do you mean by that? Well, if we want to reduce our emissions by 50% by 2030, we can't wait until 2030 to decide how we're going to count. Right. So first of all, if we do reduction right now, but it's wrong. Like the, the, the risk, I think, is not just we don't measure quite right. It's what if we measure the wrong thing or what if we actually take the wrong action? So I'll give you a very concrete example. There's a company, I won't name, that has been saying things like, hey, you should make creatives in dark mode. Like if you have a black background instead of a white background, it, you know, the monitor won't use as much energy for the consumer. And it's like, okay, well, that's maybe not even technically true. If you have an OLED monitor, that will work, but older monitors, it won't. But even more importantly, like the wattage of your computer is probably 80 or 100, and the wattage from those pixels is like 0.0001. So you're really not making any meaningful impact. But the way they present these things is like, well, we've reduced the impact of the creative by a meaningful amount. It's like, well... Okay, <laughs> but we're trying to solve this massive global problem. Stop trying to sell me something. Like, can we agree on what we're trying to fix and what the big blocky things that are causing carbon are? So that's where I would start. Got it. So that's the carbon accounting point. Yep. But not even accounting. Let's just do like what I would call heuristics. Let's agree on some like basic buckets. If you're doing creative production, guarantee you flights to and from the production are going to be big. But you don't probably know that the hard drives that you use for the dailies are actually a major source of carbon because it's extremely carbon intensive to produce a hard drive. Reusing hard drives on a production is a very easy way to cut a quarter of the carbon. Okay. So that's counterintuitive. Every time I tell someone that, they think I'm wrong, but, but it shows up in the numbers. These are the insights that we need to share. So let's get back to Mim's question, which is where do brands, agencies, media, where does everyone start on this? It's a really fundamental question. Exactly. We need to have an agreement, a sketch as an industry of where carbon is so that we can do something about it. And we should agree on what's actionable and what's not actionable and what's our, our currency here. So as an example, we have no power to get people like consumers to choose smaller TVs. This is a very concrete example. The bigger your TV, the more power it uses. We are not going to convince people to get smaller TVs. We can't convince telco companies <laughs> to change how they wire people's houses or how telco equipment works. Let's not even try. 
The things we can control, though, are MarTech and AdTech vendors. We can demand shorter supply paths for programmatic. We can stop buying on crappy inventory. We can stop buying on made-for-advertising. If we all stop buying you know, crappy outstream video, I'm pretty sure that would have a massive impact. I can give you some numbers. There's, there's very tangible things that we can quantify, and it has to have a real impact. Someone has to do a spreadsheet and say, is this a one <laughs> metric ton change or a million? IAB Tech Lab has taken this on as a mission. So they've created a working group, global, that is actually trying to make a spreadsheet that is just order of magnitude impact of changes. And I think that's so valuable. It doesn't matter if it's one or 1.1. It matters if it's one or a million. So, so that's where I'd start. I'd start by just saying, can we just get a rough and tough look at where we think our carbon is and just categorize it in two ways? One is, can I change it? And two is, is this performing for me? Meaning, you can't change meta. No one can. And it might be performing. And if it's not performing, you won't buy it. But if you have things that are maybe not performing as well, or that you can actually think about moving around, maybe there's lots of apps you can advertise on, or maybe there's you know multiple newspapers that you're looking at. Maybe you can put a little pressure on that ecosystem and make it change. And, and as marketers, your money moves the market. Everyone responds to marketers. If you say, I am not going to buy from high-carbon websites, and I am not going to buy crappy made-for-advertising sites, the whole market will literally change. People will completely change their businesses to respond to you. That's what I would suggest. Mim, how does that land with you? I totally agree that um, where the money spent is where the influence is, is going to land. I think one of the things I'm really interested in is I sort of start shaping the narrative in, in how to talk about it with my partners within my business is, you talked a lot about it then, Brian, is impact but, you know, impact in kind of real life terms. So if we're talking about getting the baseline and the metrics right on a media plan and being able to measure carbon on a media plan, for example, what is the intended impact and outcome of that? How is it actually going to make a difference to climate change? So I can talk to people in real life terms, not scientific terms necessarily. What's the impact and the outcome of measuring carbon on a media plan and trying to manage that? It's a wonderful question. The impact we want to have is probably threefold. One is we want to see your media money be spent better. A lot of the changes we're talking about are about reducing waste. The thing I hate hearing is when someone says, well, you know, Brian, I know we're wasting money on this, but 50% of all advertising is wasted anyway, so why fix it? But if I say, look, you're wasting carbon, like you're literally buying things that aren't real, and if you stop we will save the environment, that's a different conversation. Like, we have an imperative here. The, the real-world impact is thousands of servers get turned off. You know, huge amounts of electricity aren't used. Millions of tons of carbon leave the environment if we were to do some of the changes we're talking about globally. So you can actually shut off servers <laughs> by not buying inefficient supply paths and crap. Secondly, there's things you can't change. We can't change meta but we can make Meta very uncomfortable. We can't change Google, but we can make Google uncomfortable. And I think knowing that these companies are extremely sensitive to sustainability feedback means that when we push on them, I'm not suggesting any kind of boycott. I'm not suggesting that this pressure change how you spend. No employee from these companies wants to walk into a meeting with you and have you say, I'm disappointed in how you're showing up in sustainability. 
And that actually forces them to go back to their office and say to their sustainability lead, I need help. I need to go faster. I need more investment. We're going to lose spend next year if Telstra doesn't like us. Like, let's put 10% more budget in sustainability. Like, you can literally change the investment, billions of dollars of investment, because you are scaring publishers and platforms. That is massively impactful. We might get to, you know, how we understand where various platforms and media uh, sit in kind of the scope of who's better, who's worse, who's, who's on the upward trajectory. We might touch on that. Well, we need to touch on that very shortly because I think that comes into the, your GMP argument, Brian, uh, green media products as part of what you do to, off, um, to, to counter this. But Tom Dobson, quick question from you. you. You obviously know, Brian, you've done a little bit of work around here. What's your initial sense on what you want to know? Oh, look, the bigger picture is Brian does the best job of explaining it. But Brian, I want to know if we've got a campaign brief going in next week or a media plan to sign off, what are some decisions that we could make next week around the asset mix, the channel mix, video? You talk about video versus static. Give us three things we could do next week. One is make sure that whatever methodology your agency is using to measure that campaign passes a sniff test. Is that methodology public? Can you just ask some basic questions like, does this make sense to me? That's really important because everyone, and I don't think this is an agency problem as much as a vendor problem, everybody's claiming they have a magic wand. So I would just say, can I see the methodology? Are you comparing apples to apples? Do I believe this works? And have your corporate sustainability leader just take, a, take an eyeball and say, does this make sense to us as an organization? That, that's the first thing because that means that you will have something you can trust. Well, one is there, Brian, so I'm just saying you're assuming there in some cases, uh, maybe not the big global players, but some media companies may not be there yet at all, and certainly in Australia with with some of these sort of initiatives. Yeah. One thing we've worked on at Scope 3 is a foundational like model so that even if you don't, if you don't know your emissions, we can do a pretty good job outside in of figuring them out. Like we know how you do BVOD. Like we know the components and maybe you're using vendor one or vendor two, but we can kind of say every BVOD vendor has server-side ad insertion or has a you know, content management system. or ha- So we have a pretty good guess. We know YouTube, we know a lot and we have a, a number for every single publisher in Australia. It may not be perfect, but it's there. But that's an example of where from a methodology perspective, you can go to our website, you can see exactly how we make those predictions. We have an amazing team in Australia who has been meeting with publishers in Australia for the past six or nine months to refine our numbers to the point where if I say to you, hey, I think that the Australian has a footprint of 0.004 grams per impression, you can drill down on that and understand why. You can tie that to the News Corp Australia Sustainability Report that's part of the Global Corporate Report. You can see how that ties out to the ad partners they have on their website. You can talk to the team at News Corp and say, hey, why is it this number and what are you doing about it? Like All of that foundational work has been done. Ask your agency for two or three scenarios. What are my trade-offs here? What could I do if I was willing to trade a little bit of reach for a little bit less carbon? And to give you a number... In programmatic, which is where we think there's the biggest opportunity, case after case, we've seen that by turning off 5 to 7% of inventory, you get a 29 or 30% reduction in carbon. And so far, we've not seen any impact to performance. 
The reason is because there's so many intermediaries. There's so much money going to non-working media in programmatic that you're actually squeezing out the non-working part. And your media is actually working better for you. The really cool impact is we've seen publishers change their behavior overnight where they've actually said, ooh, I don't want to get turned off by NAB. I'm going to go kick off a bunch of my really bad practices. So you, even by indicating that you want to look at this, we've seen publishers preemptively change their behavior. And the third thing is, again, this is a programmatic concept because I think there's more flexibility here, is actually go and create a small exclusion list. You don't have to do this yourself. You just tell your team, block the two or three or five or 7% worst actors. I don't want to buy them anymore. And that will have a huge ripple effect on your behavior. Now, you know, Paul, you mentioned green media products, similar concept. If you're buying from ad exchanges or from any kind of ad tech company, tell them you only want their good stuff. A green media product is basically saying, I don't want the bad carbon players. I don't want made for advertising. I don't want climate disinformation content. Like, give me the good stuff. And I think that's broadly my advice to everybody. Give me the good stuff. You mentioned uh, earlier on that, for instance, outstream video is a sort of a supercharged carbon emitter. Why so? And for those that don't know, what is outstream video? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I have all these ad tech nerd like terms. So when we think about buying video, I usually think of, you know, I'm, I'm going to a broadcaster, you know, I'm going to Netflix or I'm going to Disney or I'm going YouTube to or whatever. Nine yeah. or whatever. And I'm watching a program with ad slots, like 30 second pods or whatever. Outstream video is when you're on a website and there's a video in line with the content, often in a spot where you'd usually see a banner. Some of that is integrated with the content. So you're scrolling and a video appears and you keep scrolling, it goes away. Some of that is actually just a little, I don't know if you have this in Australia, we have it here, these annoying sticky ads that run videos on the side of the screen <laughs> and they're so annoying. No one, no human has ever looked at those videos. I can't prove that, but I'm pretty sure. They sell them as in-stream, which is the term for like part of a video program because they run some content and then the video and the content. That is false. That is not real. And the problem is now you're streaming all of this video down to the computer. You're causing actually a lot of bandwidth and a lot of CPU usage for something that no one looks at. And I, I love, you know, Karen Nelson Field and Amplified Intelligence has done a bunch of work on attention. Anything that gets no attention, stop buying or very low attention. That's another way of saying the same thing. Anything that's not where your eyeballs are is waste, both from a marketing perspective and from a carbon perspective. And if you need to see that, Playground XYZ just came out with a great study on the attention carbon alignment. Like, low attention, don't buy it. So that, that's the same basic advice. Very simple hygiene. The, the trick for marketers is, this may increase your CPM. Because surprise, surprise, that's low CPM crap. And so you might see your CPM go up by a little bit, but your effectiveness will go up too. And that's the biggest challenge for procurement teams who don't quite understand that dynamic. That's very viewable because you literally can't get it out of view. It follows you around. But that's why viewability is a terrible proxy because your cost per completed view, any ad tech metric like that is getting get gamed. It's all in my lecture. But all of that goes back to basic good marketing, buying real content, you know, good ad placements, like no magic. 
but it seems very difficult for the ad tech and programmatic industry to actually deliver on basic marketing principles. Well, Brom and Powell, there's enough there to sink a battleship. Where do you start? What's your uh, top question, really? And what do you want to know, you know, from the AMI's perspective and as obviously a former, you know, consumer goods marketer as well? Because this is where it gets interesting, even in consumer goods. It certainly does. And I'm really glad you raised the uh, procurement teams because uh, all of us who work in multinationals have lots of procurement teams who are certainly aren't always looking at quality, they're looking at price. So all marketers I know, Brian, are are extremely supportive of this and I really appreciate you actually making it a lot easier to understand. I certainly have learned a lot about that. But, you know, marketing companies come in all shapes and forms, large ones and also small ones. Um, And I think the first question that I had was, what are the additional costs going to be really to implement this net zero media and advertising Um, We all want more working media. We don't want more non-working. We don't want more costs from our agencies. How do we ensure that this is not going to add additional costs potentially on the media owner's side that we're going to have to absorb finally in the marketing budget? Yeah, well, I think the non-working media part has two flavors. One is the money you know is going to intermediaries and tech vendors. And two is the the attention point of media that literally can't work because no one's looking at it. And I think if you cut both of those out, you'd have probably 50% of the money you spend that would go to real people on real content with real eyeballs. Now, in a recession, I don't know if we're officially in a recession, but in a tighter environment, maybe you don't want to reinvest all that 50%. Maybe this is a place where you say, you know what, I can actually save money as an organization right now and get better outcomes. There was a a, a wonderful graphic, and I've forgotten who did it, in MI3, maybe a month or two ago, that was showing that the media investment is no longer driving increase in share, that there's a divergence between the two. And I think that's a really scary thing, is if I'm a CFO and saying, wait, I feel like I'm pushing on a string. The more money I pump in, I'm not getting results, so I'm going to pull back. We can fix that. If $100 billion of our investment is going to programmatic, and programmatic is no longer working, we have a problem. And I think if we fix that, then we don't have this trip. It's not going to cost you anything else. If you look at media owners, every time I talk to big publishers, and I talk to all of the big ones, they say, I know that people are taking my money. I know that the low-quality crap and ad tech vendors are taking this money from me. I don't know how to get it back. And I, I keep saying to them, well, well, the best way to get it back is to get the buy side, the, the agencies and the, you know, the, the advertisers and brands to see how much better you are. And right now they can't. So that's a procurement problem. That's a marketing problem. That's an advertising problem. My insight was it's a carbon problem. I can show this in carbon terms and everyone responds to carbon differently. Because, you know, if you're at an agency, at the end of the day, it's somebody else's money. But it's my planet, and it's your planet. And we want to take it personally because it matters to us. So this is not a financial problem. This is not a technological problem. This is a problem of a status quo. It's a problem of a bunch of vested interests. And it's a problem that we, as leaders... And every person listening to this is a leader. Every one of us has the ability to be a climate champion. All we have to do is ask a few hard questions and push a few buttons, and we can have a dramatic impact. Brom, on your next burning platform question. No, I'm actually 
actually interested in, you mentioned before about having um, measured all of the local media owners. Any insights on local media owners? My first thought is that the local broadcasters, so the BVOD companies, are extremely efficient and are doing the right things. So one thing they've asked is, well, you know, how do we look versus YouTube? And a lot of that has to do with ad load. And a lot of that has to do with the length of content and the devices that people operate on. Again, we can't choose whether you look at YouTube on your phone or if you watch, you know, some, you know, highly produced program on your big TV. But I don't think there's anything to worry about on the broadcast side. And that's not where I see the hotspots, if you will. Audio looks great. Uh, it's very efficient from a technological perspective. Companies like Spotify are among the greenest in the world. Large news organizations are doing a great job. And I'll call out News Corp. I know, right? This is the crazy one. News Corp is actually at the front of the pack on this, right? Yeah. And I don't know how to handle it because on one side, you know, there's a part of me that says, you know, from a political perspective, it's hard to give them credit. But if you look at the large news organizations that have actually put together sustainability reports, they're a leader. And if you look at their carbon footprint, like they're doing a lot of the best things. And this is where I struggle with some of the politics around climate. There's a you know, anti-ESG, like you know, environmental, social, and governance movement here in the US that's being led by the Republicans who are like, oh, you know, ESG is, you know, woke. And then you ask the same people and they're like, yeah, I want to start a wind farm. Like, give me some money, government, so I can go and actually build renewable power. So my insight from Australia is that you have the best marketing researchers in the world. You have incredible thought leaders who are pushing us on things like how to spend our money. Where do we find attention? How do we imagine an ecosystem that's you know, led by sustainability. You've got some of the most forward-looking agency leaders. We met with people from IPG, from Group M, from Omnicom when we were there, all super climate first, doing amazing things. I guess I feel like Australia has the opportunity to lead the world as an industry in decarbonizing. And as I said about coal, you also have the most imperative. Like, going green now would have more of an impact than anywhere else. So you have all the raw materials to show that you can do it effectively and quickly. Brian, just to be clear, to Bronwyn's question about cost, are you then saying that decarbonizing the advertising supply chain will not result in a net increase in media costs? Did I hear that right? You are absolutely right. And not only that, I think programmatic advertising will be cost-effective for the first time once we do this work. Okay. I say first time in a long time. It, it, the last few years, I don't think it's been actually worth the investment. I think it will be once we're done. Bronwyn, does that make you happy? No cost increases here? Right. Yeah, it does make me happy. I, I also interested, if you've got any one thought, and it could be the same as for um, big corporations, but we uh, also represent a lot of small to medium enterprises, right? So we've got a lot of marketers who are, you know, two or three people in a team um, how do they approach something like this? Well, to me, there are, if you're a smaller marketer, you're going to have fewer vendors. And I think it's critical that those vendors be sustainable first. So I'll give an example of Critio, which is the only ad tech company globally that has a sustainability report that I've seen. And they, at a leadership level, 
care about the climate. And I think that if you said, as a small marketer, I'm working with Critio, I would say, that feels good because I know they care. I'm not saying they're perfect. I'm just saying I've seen them care. Another one is Teeds. You know, Teeds has done an immense amount of work on this topic. They're a leader. And I would say, yeah, I feel good about them. One thing we're doing at Scope 3 is actually starting to certify or accredit companies in this industry to say, have you met a set of criteria? And we put together an advisory board. By the way, it'd be wonderful to have someone from Australia on this Climate Advisory Council, if any of you is interested. Because we need to make sure that our standard here is global and aligned. But if, if, if someone comes into a small marketer and says, we are scope three, green accredited, spend money. That to me is where we want to be. And I want to hold that to the best science and the best criteria. Otherwise, we risk everybody greenwashing and making claims that we, we can't stand behind. So, Bronwyn, it's almost like there needs to be really for what you talk about, your mid-level constituents, mid-sized constituents, there almost needs to be a fast track for, uh, where there's a central repository of information for them to go and say, okay, yeah. there kind of needs to be something that where they don't have the budgets to necessarily get the big program going. So there's a, park that thought, but there's obviously something in that. Tom Dobson, we, we've got to start winding up, unfortunately, because we only just got started. But Tom, any questions for Brian as we wind this one up? Brian, how far can we get in just 12 months? How much progress can we make realistically? We could decarbonize programmatic at least 50% in 12 months. And in a market like Australia, more. There's nothing stopping us except the desire and you know, using a little bit of your heft as marketers to get everyone to go a little bit faster. And I'd be thrilled to consult with or advise anybody in market who wants to go make that happen. Mim Haysom, you've got a truckload of questions. Which one are you going to choose? Oh, I'm confused. <laughs> oh, I know. I've got so many. Um, uh, look, I think you called it out. Australia's got the opportunity to be, to be market leading in this space. I, I think the challenge is what I'm seeing when I talk to people is there's more competition than collaboration happening across the value chain. So, uh, you know, wh- where do you think accountability should sit? Should it be decentralised and sit with everyone? Or do you think it's the accountability of the advertiser, the agency, the media company? Should there be, you know, regulatory or industry body intervention? What do you see working the best around the world in terms of where accountability sits? I think that advertisers have a interesting role here because they're part of larger companies that are doing big things on sustainability. You know, Tom, we talked about this. You know, this is not the first time NAB has talked about sustainability. This is a long decade plus commitment. So marketers already have deep pockets and deep sustainability investments and commitments. So who better to drive? And I think that sets the tone of the whole industry. We've heard from the global holding companies that this is a pre-competitive issue. We've seen the World Federation of Advertisers lean in. In fact, we have a, a pilot running with six of their Planet Pledge members to actually demonstrate substantial decarbonization in Q1 of this year. This has to be led by marketers. And we can encourage and incentivize the leaders on the publisher platform ad tech side. We should push our agencies hard. But if you care about this, it's going to happen. And if you if you wait or are afraid of, you know, like the blowback or consequences or wait for stance, everyone's just watching to see what you do. So that's that's where this starts and this is where it ends. 
So, Mim, one more. You've got one more. One more. Lucky last. Um, you know, lots of the conversation is centred around carbon today because that's what we're focusing on. But what other areas of environmental impact do you think we, we, we will need to start entering into our consideration set in the future? Yeah. And first of all, when I say carbon, it's shorthand for carbon dioxide equivalents. So I'm talking about other greenhouse gases, methane, nitrous oxide, CFCs, things like that. So it's not just that. But water is critical. Water is an amazingly scarce resource, and a lot of the things we're talking about actually hit the water supply chain. So all this electricity production is causing impact to water supply chains, and I think we're going to be talking about water more in the next decade than we are about carbon. I do have one or two more quick questions for you, Brian, um, which come out of industry concerns or industry feedback. One of them is, and you sort of touched on it, but one of them is that media owners fear that they will cop the brunt of compliance on this. What, what is your, your message to them? Well, the reality is that regulatory pressure is going to cause everyone to have to act, <laughs> and ESG pressure. And you know that pressure is, is hitting advertisers, that pressure is hitting agencies, that pressure is hitting publishers and platforms. Like We all have pressure, and I don't think the brunt is on them. I think the brunt is on everyone, and you know they have to do their part. Mm, okay. Uh, and the final one, you just mentioned ESG. There is also sort of rising conversation that I'm picking up on about whether we get in the ESG, the environmental social governance principles, that we get carbon tunnel vision. So where the, the industry gets completely um, focused on the carbon part of the ESG component and some of the social aspects, which is about diversity, audience diversity, media diversity, et cetera, et cetera, may get sidelined. Two things on that. Is that kind of a, a real concern? And two, is there equivalence, scope three equivalents that are looking at the social aspect of, of measurement and and um, and contribution? And then we, we will wind it up. And your initial thoughts, Brian? Yeah, I think that one key difference is that when we talk about diverse media, we talk about minority-owned inventory. And there's a, a limited supply. When we talk about green media, anything can be green. You just have to clean up some of your practices. So all diverse media should be green. And one thing we've been doing is meeting with minority-owned media companies and saying, like, for free, can we help you be the greenest in the world? And we're going to announce some of those partnerships soon. And, and what's interesting is there's so many things that are broken in our industry that make it really hard for these companies to succeed. I was talking to the owner of a hip-hop-based uh, <laughs> site, and he said he gets shut down by Google all the time for bad language. He's like, but hip-hop pretty much is bad language, you know? And, and so how do you actually not, as an advertiser, put in keywords in your brand safety tools that actually exclude audiences? And that's, that's a deep fundamental problem. So what we can do in the environmental side is we can make sure that we are leaning way in on helping make sure that what we're doing is not biased away from diverse media owners, independent media owners. Bronwyn, I love your point about small advertisers. Like This has to work for the communities we care the most about. Of course it's going to work for big brands. They've got the money to make it happen. I really care about that a lot. I think that's a really, really important point. Brian O'Kelly, Mim Hayson, Bronwyn Powell, Tom Dobson, what a great start to a conversation. I've learned a lot, but it just begs so much more conversation. And clearly we're going to have to loop around on that. But thanks for joining. Thanks for starting a good discussion in this market with marketers who are going to have to drive this. So thanks for joining everyone. Stay safe. Thank you. Thank you. See ya. Thank you. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. 
Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.